This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Congrats, you found us. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and I'll be your humble chat show host every week at this hour. And uh, listen while you can. I'm not being flippant when I say, given the landscape out there, as we slide inexorably towards soft totalitarianism, I'm not sure how much longer this type of radio program will be allowed to continue, but we're on tonight, and while there is life, there is hope. Uh, To my dear American friends enjoying a Memorial Day weekend, let me just say thanks to all the vets and the families of vets and uh, those on active duty. I thank you for your service. Up here in Canada, we pay tribute to our vets November the 11th, which is Remembrance Day. But I want to acknowledge the vets in the United States because I am very aware that the quality of life that we enjoy in Canada is in large measure, thanks to the security afforded to us by virtue of living next door to the most powerful armed forces on the planet. And no greater tribute to the soldier has been written, I believe, than these words by Charles Michael Province, U.S. Army. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier, not the politician, who has has given us the right to vote. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester to burn the flag. Uh, Let me add to that. It's the soldier uh, who ultimately is responsible for programs like this getting on the air. Not too long ago, uh, conspiracy theorists were considered uncool recluses. I've been accused of being an uncool recluse, and I'd wear that badge uh, uh, of honor uh, admirably. But now, uh, following the revelations by Snowden and other whistleblowers at the NSA, who have uh, demonstrated extensive spying on American citizens, our paranoia, paranoia seems all the more reasonable, and people are starting to sense that things may not be as they appear. God, I hope so. In Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics, Donald Jeffries reveals how the U.S. government has spent more time covering up conspiracies than it has spent helping the American people. Over the last 
50 years. He writes, the government has been dedicated to a significant percentage of its time lying and covering up the truth. Donald Jeffries has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid-70s when he was a student volunteer with Mark Lane's Citizens Committee of Inquiry. He's the author of the 2007 novel, The Unreals. He lives in Virginia with his wife and two children. Donald, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, and congratulations on a very impressive tome, Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American uh, politics. Um, I'm I'm very uh, interested, actually. I want to begin with the introduction, uh, because you say something here that really cuts across the grain. Uh, you start off with talking about the administration of Abraham Lincoln, who is heralded as perhaps the greatest president of all time. And you take umbrage with that, and I think you have uh, a very valid point here. Tell me about Lincoln's Secretary of State, William Seward. Right. Well, he, he, you know, he used to brag about having a bell on his, that he could ring a bell on his desk and have any American arrested. And, uh, and that's you know that's the kind of mythology that uh, Americans are handed down. You know, and Abraham Lincoln is considered our greatest president, probably our greatest statesman. I think almost universally, and uh, it's really going against uh, the grain to say that. But I mean, you know, his, he he violated civil liberties like no other president. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus. He threw thousands of people in prison. They don't even know the you know the, the number of uh, Americans because they you know they didn't they just grab them. They arrested them in the middle of the night. He tried to arrest the. Uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court when he uh, went against his uh, writ of uh, suspending the writ of habeas corpus. So this has been around a long time. Obviously, I started with the assassination of President Kennedy because I wanted to go over the last 50-year period where I think it has really uh, accelerated, unfortunately, and it's just increasing every day, the kind of tyranny we're living under. Well, uh, just to get back for Link- to Lincoln for a moment, it, it, because so much of his presidency obviously was defined by the Civil War, uh, it 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 would be interesting to see what kind of or it would have been interesting to see what kind of president uh, Lincoln would have made, um, perhaps in another era. Uh, uh, you know, when when that wasn't sort of the defining um, aspect of of his of his presidency. My, one one could argue, I suppose, that you know the, the, those were extraordinary times that required extraordinary measures. What, what do you, what do you th- what do you think of that? Well, yeah, that's that's always the excuse, and of course, you, you can't underestimate really the fact that the the force he was fighting was, you know, considered uh, obviously the slave-owning state. So, you know, slavery is the issue that I think colors our uh, perspective on on the uh, Civil War, the war between the states. I think it's the South likes to call it. But uh, really, if you, if you took slavery out of the equation, it was just a simple matter of uh, a group of states not wanting to be uh, a part of the Union anymore, which seems to me it was almost the exact same thing we did in the, you know, during the War for Independence. We didn't want to be a part of the, we didn't want to be a British colony anymore. So, But you can't you know, get away from the slavery aspect, and that's what happens when, if I ever talk about that. That's, they instantly you know, or say, well, okay, I guess you're for slavery. So it's, it's really kind of it's a hard argument to make. So I kind of... Um, concentrate on the, on the fact that he, he clearly did uh, violate civil liberties, and he was the first imperialistic president, too. I mean, he overstepped his bounds constantly. And, uh, but those are the kind of presidents that typically are rated high, whether it's Woodrow Wilson, FDR, whatever, you know, the, the presidents that are considered powerful presidents, they, which really means they overstep their bounds and they violate the balance of powers, because Congress, unfortunately, back then, I mean, they, they set a trend. The radical Republicans in Congress in the 1860s 
did something that we're still seeing today, where you know the the, uh, the three branches of government are supposed to be separate and equal, but they're not. I mean, clearly the you know the judiciary is much more powerful than the legislative, and obviously when you have a strong president, as a, as a lot of times we have, and those are the ones that are admired. I mean, the media and, and society at large seems to want that. You know, do something. You know, be bold, act decisively, and. Uh, Unfortunately, when they act that way, it usually tramples on our liberties. Oh, that's that's an excellent point. Uh, a, a president that sort of lives within the confines of the Constitution, um, you know, not necessarily going to be seen as who's not who's not uh, you know issuing edicts and presidential executive orders. Uh, I was I was reading recently about President Garfield, and the only pres- executive order. Uh, that Garfield ever issued was that Americans should have the day off on Memorial Day. <laughs> right. Well, he wasn't in office very long, so he really didn't really have much of a chance he was assassinated. But uh, that, that tends to be the case. I mean, a guy like, uh, for instance, uh, you know, unfortunately, our, our politicians are so generally so bad that a lot of us, you know, all we can hope for is uh, a Calvin Coolidge type, you know, that just sits back and doesn't do anything or... The Even quiet Eisenhower, one, yes. Eisenhower was, was largely hands-off, but he looks so much better in perspective now because uh, the country is obviously uh, much stronger in, in almost every way. And uh, But the fact he just kind of let things alone, you know, and that's the problem is we don't have presidents that... And, and I, I'm not saying I advocate that, but unfortunately is when, when you have presidents in there who are proactive, they tend to do things that, uh, that aren't for the good of most of the people and that right. violate... Uh, the Constitution and our civil liberties. Absolutely. You mentioned Eisenhower. I was sitting in on, on Coast to Coast uh, this past uh, weekend, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, someone brought up uh, his, uh, his um, Eisenhower's Cross of Iron speech, and, and I was talking about his, uh, his outgoing message to Americans as he was ready to leave office in 1960, and of course, we've all heard the uh, sure. um, warning about the military-industrial complex, and I was um, uh, you know, speculating how his history would have been different and how his presidency would have been different had that been his inaugural address instead of his outgoing. They always leave the good stuff until the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it would have been seen quite the same way. Yeah, I mean, you know, Oliver Stone started off JFK with it, uh, you know, with the Eisenhower speech. So it, uh, and it, it did kind of lead nicely into the uh, the Kennedy administration. Well, and, and that leads us into the uh, the Kennedy uh, um, administration, which obviously looms large in your book, and, and you've uh, spent a long, a long time uh, studying this president. And, and I think you, you really make some very interesting points that I haven't really read before uh, in this context, and that is how Kennedy was different from all presidents before and after. And there's a, a really interesting uh, list here. Uh, one of the things is that he wasn't really related to any other presidents. I mean, when we have Obama, is was is Obama not related to Dick Cheney? Yeah, I mean, he's related. I mean, I, I don't understand how that happened. He must have had uh, his mother must have had quite a background because I doubt very seriously if if the other side of his family was related to sixteen presidents or whatever it is. Right, right, um, and not part of the um, you know the establishment. So right. let's talk about some of the other the other ways that that Kennedy was very different. Uh, than than his predecessors or those that, that they came after. Well, I mean, obviously on, on the surface, the, the most noticeable difference most people would would say is that he was the first Catholic, so he was the first uh, person to come outside of that WASP establishment. And although the Kennedys were rich, uh, Joseph Kennedy, kind of made, senior, made his money really outside of the establishment, and he he was never. Uh, 
in with the in crowd, and I think he resented that. I don't know if it was he kind of wore his Irishness on his sleeve, and uh, you know he was he was despised and uh, when he was an ambassador to England by uh, Churchill and you know Harry Truman hated him. And when Kennedy JFK was uh, nominated, I mean people don't remember, but Eleanor Roosevelt didn't like him. Adlai Stevenson initially didn't like him, although he later grew to like him. Truman, Harry Truman did not like him, and most of this was because they really hated his father. And um, I think they they really didn't know what to think of this guy, but they thought, oh, he's his father's son. And Kennedy came in there as, as the youngest elected president, and I think, you know, he was hit with the Bay of Pigs right away. And uh, he, he trusted in the CIA, he trusted in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and that had actually been, you know, initiated at the end of the Eisenhower administration, pretty much run by Nixon, as a matter of fact. Of, as in, he was kind of a figurehead politician, but the CIA was clearly running it, but... I think when he saw what happened, it really opened his eyes, and he, you know, he wasn't gonna. He said, "They want me to, you know, have air support and everything. I can't do that." So he pulled the plug on that, and then of course he looked weak doing that, and you know, he angered all the Cubans. And all right, uh, Don, we've got the music uh, percolating up here. We'll continue to delve into uh, JFK and uh, other aspects contained in Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Donald Jeffries, my guest, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back to the program. And uh, we are talking with Donald Jeffries, Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Uh, you begin the book with a definition of conspiracy. But the, the, uh, the term conspiracy theory really uh, came out of the, uh, the JFK assassination and, and uh, critics of the, uh, the Warren report. Uh, was conspiracy theory not sort of con- concocted by uh, that term, concocted by uh, the CIA or the FBI in order to discredit critics of the the Warren report? Well, we know they had the the infamous uh, memo that was put out in the late '60s by the CIA, which uh, uh, I believe was titled "Encountering Criticism of the Warren Report." And uh, you know, really, I mean, it's 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 hard to you know think of something that could have been more suspicious for an organization to do that allegedly had no connection to the Warren Commission at all. But uh, if you read what's actually in it, it's out there. You can find it online. But, I mean, they gave the kind of advice that we've seen has been completely uh, followed over the years by the mainstream media to try to demonize him, to point out, I don't know how many times, and we've seen it in other conspiracies, too. Well, someone would have, in fact, there's a book called Someone Would Have Talked. You know, you can't keep a secret in Washington and all that kind of nonsense. And uh, clearly you can, because and, and people do talk. It, the problem is that they talk, and, and very few of us are listening, and it doesn't seem to matter what they say. And uh, I think that's what the important thing is. And conspiracy theorists, the term really is just a catch-all, slanderous term that's used to uh, denigrate any kind of questioning of authority, even any kind of skepticism about any, really, any aspect of our lives. Yeah, what is most uh, disturbing to me is when someone who uh, toils in the uh, the MSM, mainstream media, uh, and they'll throw out that term, oh, we're not, I'm not going to talk about that, that's a conspiracy theory, and I say to myself, you're an investigative journalist, you above anyone else should be a conspiracy theorist. A homicide detective is a conspiracy theorist. They're trying to figure out and piece together who was responsible, was there anyone else involved? 
Uh, so okay. they've completely abandoned the playing field in that regard, and then they wonder why their circulation is plummeting. Yeah, exactly. And it, it really, it, it's, it's unbelievable. The lack of curiosity, the lack of skepticism on the part of really every, almost every mainstream reporter. And they don't ask the questions. The only, the only reason questions are asked, if we didn't have the Internet, they wouldn't be asked at all, or, or talk radio shows like yours. But uh, really, these are the only people that are raising them. They're, you know, average people, bloggers and, and writers like myself, radio talk shows, and, and uh, you know, just average people on the Internet. People, I mean, I, I, get a, I find so much insight on some of these conspiracy forums. I mean, it's amazing the brilliant anonymous souls that are out there. And they're, if only they were working for the New York Times or CBS or ABC... These things couldn't happen because all you would all it would take would be one huge media org and one television network. Uh, probably a, a newspaper at this point probably wouldn't do it because they're pretty much a dying uh, breed. People don't read newspapers anymore, at least not the paper versions. But one big television network, if they had somebody in charge that really wanted to go after these things, you imagine ex, imagine expose after expose, and they could make these people look these leaders look as foolish as they are. I mean. We, Look what just happened with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I, I wrote on my blog about that. I mean, it's unbelievable. What, what kind of representative democracy or constitutional republic, whatever you want to call it at this point, do we have when the official, <laughs> the official rules for this legislation or this deal were that the members had to go down, you know, surreptitiously, like in a clandestine way down to the basement visitor center of the Capitol in a soundproof room where they had to leave their cell phones and their staff behind, and they could read the document, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages. They couldn't hope to read it. They couldn't take any notes. They couldn't, and they couldn't. They were forbidden to discuss it when they left the room. And that that doesn't cry out for an expose and you know hard hitting. You know the way you sometimes see uh, local reporters go after a used car dealer or something. If they had that kind of you know Precisely. that kind of drive going ahead, you know who made this up? I mean, who, you know why would you have those kind of stipulations on that? This is a huge piece of the legislation here. Well, they, because they have become so emboldened uh, that they, they feel that they can get away literally with anything. If they can murder a president in clear uh, you know, sight of the American public uh, and get away with it, uh, if they can um, you know, manufacture uh, a, uh, you know, reasons to go to war with Iraq uh, when clearly there were no weapons of mass destruction, and then they can do it all again and... Uh, uh, because we have such short memories, they're just they're so brave now and, and, and brazen about it because they know they can get away with virtually anything. They can put anyone in the White House they want. Um, and I don't know, what is it? Our, our pineal glands have become so calcified with fluoride, we just don't seem to give a damn. Yeah, well, I think, I think it's just human nature. It's, I think it's the way it's always been is that the vast majority of people are followers and uh, they follow leaders. And the problem is, you know, you look back to the revolutionary era, the War of Independence, the reason that was able to succeed, you had very few people that were supporting the war, you know, the, the war for independence. Most people were like they are now. They just kind of, you know, they just wanted to go along to get along. And you had a few loyalists, but you had a, a core of very wealthy people, and that's the difference. Now, you don't have any wealthy people that are going to go against the system because it's working so well for them. But back then, you had... George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, the Adams, Benjamin Franklin, these, these were very, very wealthy people, the richest people of their time. So they were able to convince, because they had the power of their press, you know, Thomas Paine and Common Sense and so forth, they were able to persuade enough people to fight the war and win it, and then once they became, you know, once they became in power, then everybody became a patriot. But th that's, that's the problem, is that today you have, and I, I run into that all the time, I mean, I... 
I try to, what I call, wake people up, you know, but most people are asleep, and uh, the ones that are asleep are just, are just sleeping more sound than ever, but uh, the, the good part is that I think more and more young people are, are, uh, are able to wake up a little bit easier, They're, especially as, as the economy continues to go in the tank, and whether or not, you know, when, I think it's just a matter of when we, this economy collapses, but they see what's coming, they realize that their hopes and dreams have been dashed, they don't have much of a future. So I think more and more of them are, are you know, able to, you're much able, much more able to persuade them than you would uh, older people who have, uh, they're just looking to, you know, retire and get their nest egg, and especially... If yeah, they're, they're looking for a soft landing, exactly. Listen, we, uh, I, I do want to talk about the economy, uh, because, I mean, talk about an, another, you know, abdication of responsibility on the part of the mainstream media, you know, fudging, going along with the fudging of, of uh, you know, labor uh, data and unemployment figures and, and all of this. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, I do want to return to Kennedy for a moment, though, because I know that that's been a great part of your your life's work. Uh, and I, I, in the during the 50th anniversary in 2013, I did a I think we did about 12 shows uh, called Connecting the Dots on JFK with uh, James D. Eugenio. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've yeah, ever crossed... I with him, I know. Um, so I don't, I don't want to dedicate the entire hour to JFK, but um, what, in your mind, is the... maybe the least reported or least commented on aspect of the assassination uh, and the aftermath that concerns you? Is it, is it the, the, the relationship between Oswald and Ruby... Uh, uh, what is it? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a long list to try to pick one. Uh, I, I try to concentrate, I think, on the very simple fact is that the crime—the it, crime was never honestly investigated, not really at all. I mean, Mark Lane said early on that you know when it, when they looked at how the Warren report was separated into various categories, and most of it was a biography of Oswald because they just you know that was a pr- prosecutorial brief, you know, really trying to prove Oswald's guilt very ineffectively. But he said I would have invented another category. That would be who killed who killed Kennedy, and I mean they they never even thought, and that's the problem is they were allowed to investigate it. The Dallas police gave up early on, although they had actually had jurisdiction, but the Secret Service stole the body and they couldn't. So I would say that just the simple fact they didn't investigate it, and also I also like to focus as uh, my friend Vince Palomera has done quite a bit on the Secret Service, and uh, I, I really believe they're the most visible reminder of what happened that day because you know anybody that watches the film footage and sees just the absolute lack of any kind of reaction when they were just a short hop and a jump away from the presidential limousine they had over six seconds to react they did absolutely nothing in fact the driver slowed down or perhaps even stopped the car turned around and actually watched uh, kennedy's head get blown off so i think clearly what orders they were under i don't know but for whatever reason if there had been an honest investigation those Secret Service agents would have been grilled mercilessly by the people investigating it, but they weren't. And they were actually, to this day, a couple of them that are surviving are writing books and, you know, acting as if they're heroes. Uh, excellent points. And, and the, uh, the hits just keep on coming with, uh, with the Secret Service. It's just, they just yeah. seem to stumble from one misadventure to the next. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess the, the takeaway really from, from, uh, from JFK's administration was he was just really a lamb led to a slaughter. It's like the moment he arrived uh, in the Oval Office, uh, and you point this out, and was it uh, Selcroft who said, you know, we are at war against, essentially, they, they found themselves at war against the national security state, and they'd stumbled into this trap really not knowing the lay of the land, I guess. 
No, I mean they were they were very naive. They had, I mean the Kennedys, and you know, you never forget that he had Robert Kennedy there, who was very powerful. They were almost co-presidents. I mean, Robert Kennedy was a driving force for a lot of JFK stuff. He was he was more of a uh, zealot, you know, than JFK. JFK was more pragmatic. But they they were in there, and I think they were shocked at what they saw because they had both, you know, led sheltered lives. You know. Hyannisport and Palm Beach and, you know, uh, going to Harvard and, you know, they talk to your quintessential, incredibly wealthy guys. And uh, they suddenly had their eyes open when they were in power. And I, I think what's important to remember about JFK is that he was really the last president to attempt to really go around the powers. Ever since then, you know, they just, the presidents would get in there, they know who to obey and, you know, they know what, they're, what they can and can't do. But JFK, I think, actually thought he could, you know, assume the powers of the presidency, and he, he actually, you know, tried to, I mean, you can see it in so many things he did, you know, with his, his scathing speech uh, to U.S. Steel, which I, you know, and of course his, his timeless speech at American University, I mean, there's never been a speech like that by an American president that just, was just a bold plea, a declaration for peace, and uh, I, really, I, anybody can look back, and you're not going to find any other president that ever, or very few politicians that made that kind of plea for, you know, not a Pax Americana, peace not in our time, but for all time. And he actually was able to look at his, at his at our enemies with humanity and say, you know, they breathe the same air we do, they have the same children. So this was a dangerous guy. And, you know, the fact that we still have leftists like Noam Chomsky, and the left has been worse on Kennedy's memory really than the right has, but they still continue to lie about his legacy. And, and you know, we have National Security Action Memorandum 263, which doesn't make it any clearer than you could make it, that he was planning to withdraw all the troops, uh, the first 1,000 by the end of that year, and he wanted them all out by 1965. So Vietnam would have been completely different, but you have the Noam Chomskys and other leftists saying, no, no, Kennedy probably would have done the same thing. And there's nobody there to say, you know, wave that memorandum and, you know, <laughs> say, what do you mean? Right here, it right. tells you what he was going to do, and it was changed instantly before his body was called by national yeah. security. And there, go, there goes the, the profits of Bell Helicopter, <laughs> and, and Bell yeah, Helicopter, yeah. of course, was 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 run by um, an ex-Nazi who was exfiltrated into the United States under paperclip. Right, right, and there's and there's you know you can never forget. I mean, just imagine what how different uh, the '60s would have been, and how different. That's why I think I started with Kennedy because so many things, like a domino effect. A real domino effect, not like what they used to say about communism, but a domino effect from the, from really November twenty second, nineteen sixty three on. Because uh, without that, you almost certainly, I think, the civil rights movement would have been different. Because uh, you know, psychologically, I try to bring this point up a lot. I think that we can't underestimate how his murder psychologically affected us. Because this was such a movie star looking guy. He was so, so charming and articulate, and uh, you know, he he inspired so many young people with the Peace Corps and. To be replaced by this crude, inarticulate, hack party politician who just, you know, couldn't, even if he had been honest, which I don't think he was, he just couldn't make himself, he always looked corrupt. I mean, oh, he and did. You know, I think but, so many doubts were born uh, about the Kennedy assassination by his behavior. And certainly, as I go into my book a little bit, the Kennedy people really resented the way he, LBJ, and his people acted that day. To what extent did Johnson after- foist himself onto that ticket? Because he wanted to be a heartbeat away from the presidency. To what extent... Well, we'll talk about it when, the, when we come back from the break. Uh, we continue our conversation with Donald Jeffries. Hidden history. An expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics uh, belongs in uh, all of your libraries, those of you that listen to programs like this. 
Can't recommend it enough. Back with more here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Donald Jeffrey stays with us. Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Um, before we move on to other matters, uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, I think we were, we were uh, talking about LBJ. And um, uh, there is, of course, this uh, story that comes from his mistress, Madeline Duncan Brown, that uh, the night before the assassination, uh, LBJ attended a meeting of uh, Texas oil men, including Clint Murchison and um, A.L. Hunt, I believe, and, and others in attendance. We've been told in some quarters that everyone from uh, Nixon and, I mean, you name it, everyone was there. Uh, and Johnson um, emerged from the meeting and told his mistress Brown after tomorrow that SOB, meaning Jack Kennedy, will never embarrass me again. Uh, apocryphal, w- w- what are your thoughts? Is Madeline Duncan Brown credible? Well, you know, I, I never met her. I never talked to her. Um, I, I know a lot of the researchers don't believe she was credible. I really have no opinions on that. I mean, it's certain, I, I don't think it's, it's, it certainly sounds like a Johnson's character to, do, to say something like that. So I, I wouldn't discount it just because of that. But I, I really have no solid evidence that, that's, you know, that, act, that actually happened. But I think there's a, enough smoke around Lyndon Johnson uh, with you know, the slew of bodies he apparently left behind him since it's from his days in Congress. I go over some of that in the book. And certainly his behavior that day in Dallas and afterwards, when, uh, you know, that's really when the beginning of the, the intense feud between LBJ and RFK really began uh, in earnest on that day when he lied about uh, the, taking the oath in office. I mean, we all seen the pictures, of, you know, where he forced Jackie in her bloodstained dress to stand. I mean, that's just an act of sadism. Yes. Stand next to him, and then the Congressman Thomas, Albert Thomas, in the background was caught in the middle of a wink, and Lady Bird has this incongruent smile on her face. It's just, you know, it was just, they, they just couldn't contain their glee. And, and, and so it, it's really, I think, everybody, I, I don't for a second believe LBJ was the mastermind behind the plot, but I think he, he knew it was going to happen, and he was uh, overjoyed, I think, that it did, so he would be president. Uh now the other this is a highly contested uh, issue and that is the the uh, the story that the the limousine the presidential limousine parade route was changed last minute true or false because i've heard i've heard uh, conflicting reports on that yeah the the, the critical community is, is divided on that as there are on a lot of things i i believe there are strong indications that it was changed i, I personally believe it was changed the last minute but it, you know, you can you can find me on all these JFK forums. I don't post there as much as I used to because at, at length, you know, eventually you get tired of all this stuff because uh, they'll just debate, you know, this, this tiny minutia forever and ever and ever, and they'll, you know, claim somebody's a, a disinfo agent because of some little thing like that. But um, I think the indications are, and I, I think, you know, I'm still a supporter of Jim Garrison, and, uh, you know, he looked into that as, as well as the early critics did. And I, I still th- think the early critics were the best critics, and I don't, I don't think very much of what they reported or initially during their investigations because they, they really did the work that professional journalists should have done and never did. And uh, if it hadn't been for Mark Lane and Sylvia Marr and a housewife like Shirley Martin and um, Harold Weisberg, the retired chicken farmer, uh, you know, Mark Lane, obviously, if, if it wasn't for these people... Uh, we wouldn't know any of this stuff because it, it took a lot of work to go through 26 volumes of unindexed, 
mess, really. I mean, most of it was insignificant stuff. I mean, things like, you know, Jack Ruby's mother's dental charts. You know, as Mark Lane pointed out early on, you know, that wouldn't have been, uh, you know, significant even if uh, Ruby had bit Oswald to death. So, I mean, these, these things were, and that's, and the, and the, it's, it's really, this, if you pour through these exhibits, that's what you find there. And, and what, these, what these critics did is they found that the commission's own evidence proved conspiracy completely, you know, uh, contradicted everything they were saying, all their conclusions. And, uh, but most people didn't read those 26 volumes. They were very expensive. You had to buy them all together as a complete set. And uh, you know, especially most people just wanted the testimony, but you had to buy the exhibits too, like I said, which are largely meaningless. So, um, yeah, really, anybody, anybody that spends uh, a week studying the official evidence is, is you know, going to going to come away a hundred percent convinced. Okay, the official story is impossible. Lee Harvey Oswald shot no one that day. Uh, what do you make of attempts to place uh, um, Daddy Bush, uh, George the First? At uh, in in Dallas, November twenty second, sixty three. He was an FBI field agent at the time, was he not, or a CIA field agent? Well, it, it, there's there's a, a letter that he wrote, and again, that's one of those things which I, I it's one of those things that didn't interest me that much because I, I don't think he was powerful enough at the time to have a significant role in anything. There there is a curious letter that a George Bush of the CIA wrote at that time, but I, I think it's one of those kind of. Uh, rabbit holes I don't go down because I go, I go down a lot of rabbit holes but I, I just don't think that's as productive I, I try to really harp on what I think are the strongest indications of conspiracy and that's what I put in my book I mean you know the, the secret service failure uh, obviously the impossibility of the single bullet theory uh, the, uh, the head wound you know which when you, you know every 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 person in Dallas that saw the head wound of JFK reported a huge massive blowout in the back which indicates an X wound Okay, we, sorry, sorry to jump in here. We've got the, the music coming up here again, so we'll, we'll take another time out and uh, continue one more segment with Donald Jeffries' Hidden History. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. And uh, Donald, I, de- I definitely want to have you back on because there's so much uh, uh, in this book to discuss and we are not even well, – we just simply cannot do it justice. Uh, I-, I want to skip ahead and, and uh, talk about uh, – well, he is – let's face it. He is m- much beloved uh, by those on the left um, uh, and sort of seen as really the great communicator. No question. I think I think Bill Clinton uh, was probably one of the, the – um, the, the greatest communicators. Everyone talks about Ronald Reagan, uh, and he was a great communicator. But Clinton could speak extemporaneously, and uh, I mean, he could charm the socks off of anybody. Uh, but as you point out, the Clinton years really is conspiracy central. And here we go. You know, the pre-approved slate of candidates. It's it's a it's a Bush and a Clinton again in 2016. But let's just talk uh, for a few moments about the Clinton presidency. And you talk about the body count going back to his days as governor of Arkansas. Let's chat about that. Yeah, it's 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 just amazing, and you know the the people that were involved, and I still get this from people that that just cling to this myth that I mean Clinton Clinton benefited from the dot com boom, so the economy was 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 good during most of his administration, and the nineties were good for me for most people, but he you know like most presidents, modern presidents, he had very little to do with that. He just lucked out, but he on the other hand he had some bad luck because it was the dawn of the internet. And the internet really, again, it wasn't the it wasn't the media that was talking about the Clinton body count. That's for sure. And uh, the mainstream media, just uh, if you remember, when he was finally impeached, I mean, they actually didn't even 
want to televise impeachment. I mean, could anything be more historic or unusual than that? Right, right. But they, they acted like it didn't happen. And uh, But, yeah, he's, I mean, I, I talked to Linda Tripp. I talked to, uh, who's still, you know, I got in an argument about her on uh, the JFK forum a couple weeks ago, somebody who's just a devoted Clinton follower, and it's just unbelievable what they did to her life. And she was just really trying to protect herself. She told me they all, all the people in the White House knew about the Clinton body count, and they all feared for their lives. And uh, you, know, you have somebody like Jerry Parks, who was the head of his security in Arkansas, who told everybody, I'm next after Vince Foster died. And then, and then he dies. Uh, he gets shot while he's driving in his car. I mean, who, how many people die that way outside of the mob? I mean, you know, really, really only organized crime figures do that. But in Clinton's case, he had, you know, just incredible. I mean, Kathleen Willie, one of the many women who accused him of, you know, improper advances uh, to him. I mean, her... Her husband Ed Willie was his body was found shot dead in the woods again. Who, who dies that way? I mean, especially these are upper class successful people. I mean, you could maybe argue, okay, maybe in a trailer park or something that might happen. But that's you know what fascinates me and why I concentrate on that so much that he, you know, we forget about the just incredible corruption there. And it, it's not that the Bushes were any better, as I point out, they had body counts too. It's just that Clinton, I think, was the first one to be, uh, you know, they uh, ascribed that name to it. And the Internet said was was just coming into power, and he, he just gave them, you know, a plethora of, you know, material to deal with. It was, you know, he, uh, it was just one thing after another. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, there's so many things happened in Waco, Oklahoma City, and then, of course, I, I go into the John F. Kennedy Jr. death, which, uh, you know, I, I think I'm the first one that really reported the, the truth about that. And uh, I don't believe that was an accident for a second. And uh, so, so many significant things happened in the 90s that, that paved the way, uh, you know, for, I think, the, the state we're in today. Uh, and uh, do you see, do you foresee uh, Hillary, Hillary uh, versus Jeb Bush 2016 presidential run? Boy, what a choice. Huh? <laughs> it was another great choice. But, you know, I don't know if that's what the people want. I mean, I think that's what the voters doesn't seem want to matter to. what the people want, though, Donald. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But it, but it's, it's, what happens is that so many people are disillusioned that, you know, the people that really are the most political savvy don't vote. I mean, you know, there's a saying, you know, don't vote, it only encourages them. And, you know, they're, they're giving you nobody to vote for. And, and the idea that Hillary Clinton... But they want to push her so much. I think they were they were so successful in getting Barack Obama in and uh, promoting him as the first black president, and that any criticism of their figurehead is met with racist. Oh, you're racist. And I think they'll do. They would do the same thing with Hillary, where you're a sexist. You don't like women. Oh, you're threatened by a woman in power, a powerful woman. And that's what you'll be hearing, assuming, you know, she, that something really outrageous scandal happens that they just can't recover from but at this point it sure looks like that's who they're promoting and i i think she's going to get a huge chunk of the of the female vote unfortunately and i, I just don't think there's uh, going to be enough people to, and you know jeb bush will probably be maybe her figurehead opponent but i mean really how many how many people the right is not going to get worked up over jeb bush so, i mean i out of the candidates are there i mean i think Rand paul you know i i would probably vote for him just because i hope he's he's ron paul's son and you know He's just playing politics, but I mean, certainly this week he he did a few good things where he he, he helped the uh, he helped block the extension of the three key passages for the Patriot Act. But I mean, that'll I'm sure they'll you know they'll reemerge and and pass that because these things always pass. That's you know it's inevitable. But you know I, I admire the fact that at least he stood up for that. Well, who, whoever uh, uh, takes the uh, the White House is going to have to uh, preside perhaps over the. Uh 
the next, you know, huge um, bubble burst. And, and there are so many bubbles to burst. There's the credit card, the student loan debt. There's the auto. I mean, it's, you know, we've, we've learned nothing since 2007. We've simply, you know, ratcheted up tenfold. Uh, the, 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 um, the manipulation of the data now is just mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. Does anybody living or dead believe that the U.S. unemployment rate is below 6%? Oh, it's ridiculous. And they're, 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 they're reporting figures to you. They're, they're admitting what they're reporting are people collecting unemployment benefits. <laughs> I mean, that's because people's unemployment benefits run out. They don't qualify. They, they just don't choose to ever get them. Or, or they're just, you know, they've given up looking for work. All those people... I mean, they're telling at the same time 90 to 100 million people are unemployed of adult age. So you do the math. I mean, that's, you know, like 30% or something. So, uh, even if you take out the retirees and the students that don't want to work, and then they want to, they want to bring 10 to 30 million, however many uh, more immigrants, illegal immigrants into the country and add that to the workforce. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it, I, I've said over and over again, I try to stress this point, you could get any random group of preschoolers anywhere in the country, the most impoverished area, people that didn't, you know, they were terrible uh, home life, whatever, and they would do a much better job of running this country than our leaders do. Do you uh, foresee within the next five years, let's say, I'm just picking that arbitrarily, the next five years uh, that the United States, uh, the U.S. dollar will cease to be the reserve currency? I, that's, that's certainly a possibility. What, what I, I mean, I don't like to make predictions. A lot of conspiracy-minded people do, and then they, they harp on Alex Jones does that quite a bit, and a lot of other people do, and if you're wrong, then you look bad, but I think it's inevitable. I don't think the economy, whether it's the dollar or anything, I don't think the economy can continue like this. You have the massive uh, disparity in wealth. I mean, you can't you can't have just uh, recently, I was reading about Hewlett Packard, you know, it's breaking up, and, and um, you know, they're going to outsource all those jobs, and you you can't outsource the entire country, and while you're bringing in immigrants to do the work Americans won't do because there are no jobs for the Americans to do, and you want to pay them third-world uh, wages without benefits. So I, I just don't think you have to have people making enough money to be able to support the products you're importing from all over the world and what few things you're still building here, and, and just to be able to buy the services that your economy depends on. And, and what they're doing now is they're... I mean, working-class people and poor people, raises are a thing of the past. They're not getting raises. They're chipping away at benefits, and uh, most people won't have pensions or anything. And Social Security is one of the bubbles you were talking about. I mean, they know the math there. They know that, that it can't continue, but they won't, you know, go, they won't say it has to be means-tested. And most people don't realize only the first $100,000 of income is passed is taxed on Social Security. I mean, you can't imagine a more regressive tax than that. So you know who's paying that. I mean, so Bill Gates is paying the same amount of uh, taxes somebody that uh, on Social Security that somebody that's making a hundred thousand dollars a year is, and that's that's wrong, and nobody's talking about it. Are you concerned at all about Jade Helm? Uh, you know, I think that's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of many indications, that, you know, just you know, of, of federal tyranny. Uh, I wouldn't go. I know Alex Jones has made a lot out of that, and I wouldn't go about making predictions and saying this is the stand or whatever because these things. What happens is it looks like this is going to be the big one, and then it just kind of goes away, and then the next one comes. But it's, it's, it's an indication of everything that's wrong in this country. I mean, we, I mean you know, the states haven't had rights for a long time, and, and uh, you know, the federal government pretty much does what it wants. And it, the worst-case scenario under Jade Helm, I think, could happen. I don't, 
I really don't think a state could, you know, resist it if they tried. I mean, we saw, what, you know, what happened in, uh, in other instances, you know, going back to the war between the states, and um, it's going to be hard for them to win that battle. But I, I'm just concerned about the overall aspect of, of uh, tyranny, really, at all levels. And it's, it's just what I call a, a cocktail of corruption and competence at you know, really all levels of anybody with any influence in the the honest people that are there that would make these rational decisions are so outnumbered that they're just, they just they can't do anything. And it's, uh, you know, when you see something like this Trans-Pacific Partnership, as I described, the, uh, you know, the way they're going about that where anybody can understand. I mean, who, who, would support, who wrote those rules that you, know, <laughs> that you can't talk about it, you can't take notes, and, and they're voting on it? But I try to stress things like that that are so, you know, most people can understand that, but they still... You know, especially if their if their if their lives are going okay, and I think we're seeing that throughout society is that people if if they're okay, the whole thing is well, I don't have any empathy for anybody else. I'm doing all right, you know. And they're not looking at the big t- picture and and what's going to be happening in uh, five years, ten years, and you know, further down the road that we're we're building a just you know really a monstrosity that uh, our children and grandchildren are going to have to deal with. Well, I, I was talking to someone the other night about uh, the uh, the UN sanctions against Iraq, uh, largely. Sponsored by the United States and, and Great Britain, and, and absolutely devastating. Uh, I mean, people forget. Uh, although Saddam Hussein was a thug, absolutely, but that's what you get in the Middle East. Uh, right. An incredible, um, um, you know, uh, civilization, um, middle class, uh, secular uh, society. Women, you know, working as hospital administrators, driving. Unlike you know our allies in the region in Saudi Arabia, where they're still having witch trials for crying, crying out loud. Right, right. Uh, and and uh, the the country absolutely destroyed uh, by these UN sanctions. And yet they were waiting for the people to rise up and and uh, overthrow Saddam Hussein. But when you're trying to, you know, one day you're a doctor and the next day you're trying to find out how you can, you know, feed your your children uh, and make one piece of bread, you know, last the whole day. And that's what's happening to me, uh, to my way of thinking in the United States. People are so preoccupied now with mm-hmm. just figuring out how to pay their utility bill. They right. don't have time to get involved in, in political action. Exactly. And that's why you, you have these, they're really distractions where they make, uh, where they make, I mean, I, I wrote a blog and it's about the Baltimore riots and so forth. It, it's they, these kind of things where they can get people arguing with races and religions and, and sexes. And they get them distracted so easily, and they're easily distracted, whether it's sports, the lottery, whatever. And uh, they can't see the big picture. They, you know, you try to talk to them about how our banking system works, or try to talk to them about what's going to happen with Social Security, or, or the unemployment rates, what they really mean. And I'm, I'm just met with blank looks a lot of times. I mean, sometimes I get through to people, especially young people, and they go, "Oh, wow," you know, and they're they're interested. But most people, you know, that are you know anywhere near my age, that are that are you know. Young adults, middle aged, whatever they are, they they just don't want to hear it. They just, oh, you're crazy, you know. <laughs> they, you can't wake the dead, as they no, say. No, and that's what it is. And it's, it's, it's so frustrating because it, if enough people woke up, but I mean, this goes back to you know Orwell's 1984. I mean, that's you know, remember Winston Smith would sit there and say, you know, the proles <laughs> they could crush the inner party, but they if only, but they could only get upset. I mean, he was so. You know, such, such a great uh, seer of the future where, you know, he, he had them fighting over, he, he, Winston would see them getting upset, but they were upset over sports or the lottery. Exactly. False and outrage. We are, you know. Listen, we, um, we're out of time, but um, I, I'd like to have you back on uh, again at some point this summer. Would you be good for that? Sure. Anytime. I'd be happy. Terrific. Yeah. Really enjoyed our conversation. 
Thank you very much. Hidden History, Donald Jeffries. Uh, the website is richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. All right, just uh, conversing with one of the fine security people patrolling the halls here. It's good to know. I feel safe. Nothing going on. Don't need to raise alarms or anything. Just routine. Nothing more for you to see. Go on back to your homes. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, your RV, your crystal radio, your smartphone. Jeez, however and wherever you're listening. AM 740, our flagship station in Toronto, one of our growing list of U.S. affiliates. Uh, Perhaps the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TalkZone.com, or our HOA Hangout on air, which we are not doing tonight. Uh, we're having some internet issues of late, and we hope to get those resolved. But um, uh, normally, we, um, we're also streaming on, on YouTube. Albert Vinzel, my uh, story producer intern, has posted some great stories in the slide carousel atop of richardserrett.com. Uh, for all of you Giants fans, and uh, no, I'm not talking about Willie McCovey and the Say Hey Kid <laughs> Willie McCovey, I'm <laughs> really dating myself. Uh, Barry Bonds, no, he's not around anymore either. Anyway, I'm not talking about those giants. I'm talking about an article from uh, the Event Chronicle. Again, it's posted at richardserrett.com. Just uh, go to the slide carousel and you'll see these stories go by. Um, anyway, the, the story is about the great Smithsonian cover-up. 18 giant skeletons discovered in Wisconsin... And uh, this goes back over 100 years ago, um, but it's an important chapter, really, in history, and it's uh, or in uh, suppressed history, if you will. It's about the discovery of these enormous skeletons, uh, most of them between seven and a half feet and ten feet tall, with elongated skulls, and they had six fingers and six toes, and they had double rows of teeth, and uh, they were discovered in a burial mound in Wisconsin back in, as I say, 1912. And uh, you know this this story wasn't carried on the you know the the Weekly World News at the time. This was this was reported in the New York Times. You can you can find it in the archives. Uh, but then the article goes on to wonder you know why these skeletons never went on public display. And we've talked about this before on the program. Uh, how uh, uh, you know there were communications between letters written uh, between uh, the, the the discoverers of these skeletons, the archaeologists or anthropologists, and uh, um, people working at the Smithsonian, uh, acknowledging receipt of these uh, skeletons, these bones, and so forth. But they they never seem to go on display, do they? So what happened? Uh, The other uh, article, um, let me see. Oh, this is interesting. This is um, um, about fracking or hydraulic fracturing, a.k.a. fracking. And it's a, a study conducted at the University of Pennsylvania. And it turns out According to the study, traces of a chemical used in hydraulic fracking, a fracturing, has now turned up in the drinking water in in homes in Bradford County, Pennsylvania, which is the first time uh, this has happened. So obviously causes for concern there. So these are just two of the uh, stories Albert has posted up at richardserrett.com. So please get on up to the website, register if you haven't already done so. It's fast, it's easy. And my favorite word, free. Uh, I read recently where parts of drought-stricken California 
have, over the, the last couple of weeks, received record rainfalls all of a sudden. Uh, after a winter and early spring yielding record low Sierra snowpacks, uh, a snowpack compounding a crippling multi-year drought, now parts of California have seen a strangely out-of-season soaking late, uh, well, uh, last week and the week prior, really. But I think it's continuing in some parts, the deluge. Record rainfalls in Southern California. Showers and thunderstorms. Uh, locally heavy uh, rainfall in San Diego. Uh, the San Diego International Airport had uh, uh, one and a half inches of rain in, uh, in less than two hours. And um, uh, flash flooding, of course, as you can expect, uh, brought to the area with multiple water rescues reported. There was also rain delay, a rain delay for the baseball game in um, San Diego's Pet Petco Park, which is the first time that's happened since 2004. So all of a sudden now, uh, this drought-ravaged region is getting record rainfalls. And meanwhile, now we're hearing that 2015 is shaping up to be an El Nino year, which could mean, depending on where in the continent you reside, either wildflowers, wildfires, <laughs> wildfires, or rain, or drought, or extreme heat this summer, and uh, a milder winter. Again, depending on where you are. Uh, now, some are blaming the unusual weather patterns on uh, El Nino. Others are uh, blaming the approach of Nibiru or Planet X. Uh, my guest this hour uh, believes that weird weather is man-made, uh, produced by a flip of the switch by the, uh, the people who run HARP. That's the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project up in Alaska, the Copper Valley. And if you're not, uh, if you've been living under a rock for the last 30 years, HARP is a high-power radio frequency transmitter operating in the high-frequency HF band. And uh, it's used to temporarily excite the ionosphere or a limited area of the ionosphere. And they have other instruments such as VHF and, and, and a UHF radar and a fluxgate uh, mag magnetometer. Uh, I can never say that word. Magnetometer. And um, anyway... Some believe that uh, HARP is being used for far more nefarious purposes. It's been uh, sort of a target of uh, those in the conspiracy community who claim it's capable of modifying the weather, disabling satellites, even exerting mind control over people, uh, and that it was being used as a weapon against terrorists. Uh, they may, uh, may be using HARP to uh, cause earthquakes, droughts, storms, floods, diseases such as the Gulf War Syndrome, Morgellons, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, and so forth. Well, we're going to get into that over the next 40 minutes or so. Georgia Love is with us. She's a clairvoyant who's experienced many spiritual events. She's researched paranormal phenomenon, astrology, dowsing, numerology. As a psychic, she helps people realize they're divine beings by showing their connection to the spirit world. Uh, but she's also penned a rather interesting book entitled Escape from Manhattan, where the aforementioned harp, looms rather large. Georgia Love, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I am wonderful, and it's just super to be on your show. Uh, thank you. I feel very honored to be here. I wrote my book five years ago, and at that time I had no idea that 30,000 books get published every month. So at this time, two million books have been published, each individual book's published, since I wrote mine in 2010. And, you know, I have learned so much more in the last five years. I have found out being a Canadian, I cannot get my book into the Canadian stores because they will not take, Cole's bookstores will not take anything from Amazon. 
Interesting. And it, it's just crazy. So I'm left. I do have my book create with Create Space after wasting thousands of dollars with Trafford Publishing and other publishing companies that. So that's why there's 30,000 books being published every month, because you've got all these companies that are under the Amazon, from what I can understand, in my opinion, under the Amazon umbrella, because they're all in the same office building, so one can't help but wonder what's going on. And this is Trafford. It's just so many that you would think would be okay. And what got me going okay on this whole thing is I was office admin up north at one of the um, huge oil and gas um, places at Gold, uh, Cold Lake, Alberta, right? Right, right. And the secrecy and all the stuff that was going on there and at Christina Lake in Alberta and all of the security and the craziness that was going on there, I couldn't help but wonder what was going on with our north. And I came home and I started doing research. And I first came across Nick Begish, and I'm sure you must have had Nick Begish on Oh, yes. Show. Angels don't play this harp. Yes, sir. And harp is not H-A-R-P. It's H-A-A-R-P, which stands for High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. Well, it's not a research program. And, yes, they may very well have closed the site at Gagona, Alaska, because Jesse Fincher and everybody that's a... Uh, activists that you can respect and dearly admire and love have been up there pounding their doors trying to get in there and see what information so do by all means when we're finished this hour if you can give me an hour of your time go and research nick begish he's a a scientist has been working with harp research for over 40 years and he believes they're using heart for mind control in the big cities. I really believe he could be doing that, or they could be doing that. But the important thing is that I now believe they have small harp instrumentation on submarines. And I truly do believe, in my opinion, that the Twin Towers were brought down with a directed energy beam, and it was harp off of a submarine that took down the Twin Towers. They were not pancaked. They were not bombed. They were dustified. They were disappeared, yeah, from they the top down. two minutes. There was nothing to clean up. And the calls to the 911 lines where the people that did get through for the second so they were able to talk said they saw people dustifying right in front of them, and they were scared because they could feel themselves heating up from the inside. And this is what microwave energy directed laser cold fusion energy would be to a person it would be like putting your cup of water in the microwave oven and putting it on super high there wouldn't be much water there right eighty percent water well this is not uh, this is not uh, um, you know out of left field this this information the idea that some sort of a directed energy weapon I, I've had Judy Wood on the program a number right. of times uh, talking about about uh, how the the towers were uh, it vaporized. I, I read her book, and she shows a thousand people. She has an eight hundred page book. I dearly love this woman. I doubt if we'll ever get to meet, but oh my God, I admire that woman. And she couldn't even get her book printed in the states or Canada or in the free world. She had to go to China to get it printed. Would you believe? But eight hundred page book with pictures from all the famous photographers. Uh, showing the people jumping from the buildings and then pulling off their clothes, their shoes, because they were so hot, they, and then all of a sudden they were gone. And when you realize that it was cold fusion, directed energy, laser energy that caused this, 
if you read <clears throat> Dr. Judy E. Wood, you can find her on the Internet. Sure. There's also a man by John Hutchinson. Yeah, and I done, know John very well. Yes, and he's done tons of research on this. And Jerry E. Smith, and I, after reading Dr. Nick Baggish, I, I went into Hunt, right? And I found Jerry E. Smith's book. God rest his soul. Yes. Oh, what a blessed man. You know, he was dead in a matter of months from pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I wrote my book in 21 days, and I, felt I was doing 18 hours a day, and I could barely type back then. I can type like crazy now, but back then it was a real chore. And 18 hours a day, I was in my room typing and typing, and, you know, I finished my book, I believe it was March the 8th. And in my family, because we're very psychic, very spiritual, on both sides of the continent, I'll go into that in a few minutes, but there's a knock at the door three distinct times, and I went to the door, nobody there. In our family, that is what happens when someone is close to us, they will let us know they're gone. And I never thought anything more about it. I thought, well, I'm at the age, I have lots of older people in my life who wonder who it was. George, I have to ask you to hold on. Apologies. We're going to head into a break on the other side. We'll pick up on that story and find out who was a tap, tap, tapping at her door. (laughs) Back with more of my conversation with Georgia Love as we discuss harp and other matters right here on The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. Uh, Georgia Love is uh, with us uh, talking about HARP. That's the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project, which ostensibly has been has been uh, powered down. However, uh, there are a lot of other HARPs out there around the world, and now we are being told by Georgia that uh, this technology uh, sort of exists in miniature form. They don't need a vast array of these radio antennae anymore. They can uh, house it in a fairly small unit and, and place it on a submarine. So now... Uh, they're all over the place, and uh, as I uh, sort of mentioned, the laundry list of effects attributed to uh, harp-like devices. It includes weather manipulation, which brings us to uh, the late Jerry Smith. You mentioned uh, Jerry uh, as a source of inspiration, and he, of course, wrote uh, the book Weather Warfare. I had Jerry on my program many times over the years, and uh, uh, was a great guy. I liked him a lot, and as you say, passed away suddenly, uh, pancreatic cancer. I had to find. I found out actually from. David Hatcher Childress, uh, who runs Adventures Unlimited Press, and Jerry worked there for a number of years. So, uh, who was knocking? Who was knocking at your door? Who was knocking at your door that night? Oh, early in the morning. Okay, and so my book was finished. I I just dismissed. Okay, it's some senior round in my life, and I'll find out. I went down to our local bookstore, and I found his book, The Ultimate Weapon by Jerry Smith. I came home and I read it, and a lot of the scientific stuff in there was what was in my book. My goal was to bring my book to the kitchen table as knowledge that it was like a bottle of ketchup. Everybody would know what this was about. There was no more secrecy, more denying it. And so a week later, I phoned uh, the press company that Jerry Smith worked worked for, and I talked to the secretary, and I said, I really got to get through to Jerry E. Smith, because I've written a book that's a human interest story, but I've included the science in a simple way that women that are reading romance novels that are junk will pick up this book because of the love story and the humanity in it and they will learn what harp is what is going on in our world 
because my feelings were that when we go into spirit, the only thing we get to take is our knowledge. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be something of the mothers and the grandmothers when they were going home to the other side, the fourth dimension, that they had this knowledge and they could kick butt. Because I believe in spirit, we are so much stronger than in the flesh. Okay, so back so to the anyway, rapping on the door. The secretary tells me Jerry E. Smith died March the 8th, and I'm realizing, oh, my God, it was him knocking on the door. It's why I spent, a tw- uh, I believe, 18 days writing this book so fast and furiously as I could. And to finish, he wanted to get it finished before he died. He was automatic writing is what was going on in the science area of this book. You believe it was Jerry Smith writing through me, through the you. scientific part. He was trying to get me to do it. I'm a novice writer. This is my first book. And so I wanted women to come out of their childlike, right, right. you know, the 50, 50 shades of gray. I cannot believe any intelligent well, I'm sorry, but I just can't believe any intelligent woman would glorify rape and brutality and think that was a book they should read. Okay. I had more respect for women than that. Well, yeah, isn't the state of uh, art grand right now? <laughs> that's what they. That's what passes off as, as high well, art. Well, I'm sorry, my I, I was blessed with a brain, and I expect women, especially when you're in your 60s, you know, you don't really after menopause have a huge sexual drive. <laughs> well, let, yeah, let's get back to Harp for a moment. Uh, and Georgia Love is with us. Her, her book is Escape from Manhattan. Uh, we're talking about about Harp. And n- yeah. now here's the thing. How do we sort of separate the wheat from the chaff when all this crazy weather is going on and we have volcanic activity, which, which affects the weather? We have the, uh, these polar vortexes, which affect the weather. Uh, we've got sunspot activity, which affects the weather. We have uh, El Nino and ocean currents, which affect the weather. And then we have harp sort of overlaid over top of that. So how well, do we I differentiate? Harp, excuse me for, I believe harp is what's causing all of this. Okay. It supersedes all of the other uh, things. It's, it's the mother load of, of doing all of this. Okay? It, it's the main cause behind all of this. And I believe right now they are doing, there is so much increased earthquake and volcanic activity on the West Coast right now, the whole West Coast from California up to Alaska. And I believe the reason why there is so much increased activity with volcanic and earthquake is that. Right now, I don't know if your listeners are aware, but the World Bank, I don't know if you've had um, uh, Hudas on. Yes, I have. Okay. Well, you know how hard the World Bank and the powers that be, the the BRICS group, the Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, South Africa, Japan, all these countries are coming together. Forming their own. To revalue the currency of every country in the world. Well, my concern is that 1%, that cabal, is using HARP, and they're going to try. And that's why I wanted so badly to get all this information out so people would understand what is behind all of the extreme weather. We had winter games here in Prince George. We had three weeks of spring weather. We didn't even have to wear a winter coat. Only HARP could do that. I mean, I'm born February the 25th. I have never seen a nice winter ever, never in all these years. And I'm 68, and my God, uh, we had summer weather 
actually, we would have nicer weather for the winter games than we have now. <laughs> but, but we're told again and again, Georgia, that this is global warming and this is Baloney. man-made. You don't believe in it either. I don't either, but... It is not. It is man-made, and they're, want, they're using billion watts of laser energy to melt the Arctic. And if you go on the Internet and you start... I'm looking at one here... Um, uh, just pages and pages. It must go up to 30 pages on HARP if, if you Google on YouTube. Like, it's just crazy uh, how much. I'm not the only one. There's so many fine, fine minds and scientists um, that are talking about The other thing I included in my book was Dr. T- uh, Tom Bearden. Oh, yes. And he has been trying. He is recognized uh, by the Institute of Technology. Uh, as the, one of the distinguished uh, scientists of our, you know, of the of our world, and he has been trying for 40 years, maybe more, to get the U.S. government to decentralize their power grid because they're so vulnerable with it the way it is now. And he has, you know, he has free energy. He talks about how they can make and our electrical power grids that are small, that they're not massive, so they're not at such risk for for any kind of, uh, what would you call it, wrongdoing, right? I mean, they're just so wide open. And for 50 years, this wonderful man has tried. He's a major in the Army. Like, this is not a dummy. This is a man that gave his life to try to wake up the United States. But the cabal would not let his voice be heard. I mean, it's ridiculous that we're using fossil energy when we could be using his energy that he perfected, and he did. He offered it to us. Well, you, you talked ago. about uh, electricity, and this is something that has always fascinated me. The, the transmission of electrical power uh, really has not changed in over 100 years. Exactly. And, and it is terribly inefficient. And you, when you look at things like Moore's Law, which uh, you know, sort of predict the, the, the rep, rapid development of technology uh, over short periods of time based on this thing called Moore's Law, uh, and you, you can apply that to just about – I mean, look around you. Everything is, is uh, becoming smaller and more sophisticated and cheaper except for the electrical power grid system. It's the same – way we're generating power and transmitting power that we have for the last hundred years. And, and, and to me, uh, there's obviously, I mean, that's by design. They, you know, there, there must be far, I mean, uh, Tesla demonstrated that he could, he could transmit power, electricity through the air without wires uh, over a hundred years ago at Wardenclyffe. Exactly. And that is in my book, too, his early research, what he brought to the table. And it's just amazing that none of this... Well, you see, 1% of the population, and I'm sure you're aware of it, the Illuminati, the Cabal, have controlled this whole planet. In Canada, I'd tell you, I'm sure there's not more than 10 people. Yeah, it's not... It's, I think that's a misnomer. Country. The misnomer uh, that it's 1%. It's, it's 1 1,000th of 1%. Yes. It's not exactly. the 1%. So uh, 10 people, perhaps, control everything in Canada. In fact, my book, Escape from Manhattan, there's a woman in Ottawa that sits in the parliament or whatever there, and she makes sure my book cannot come across that border. The only way I can get it here is order it myself and sell it individually signed. I've made uh, uh, CDs. I can sign the CD and send you a CD. 
All right. Um, okay, I am determined to get this information out to the public. I want every grandma that's got curlers in her hair, like on Mrs. Brown Boys, I want those little old ladies like that to know what's going on in our world so that their teenagers can sit down and talk to them heart to heart and have mutual respect. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably familiar with uh, Ilana Freeland. She's been on the program yes, a number of times. she's amazing. I listened to her today. She's just amazing. Right. Now, she she says that, um, uh, and has researched, that, that chemtrails are working concert with HARP. Uh, yes. Do you concur with that? Yes, I do. And how does that happen? How do they work together, do you suppose? I just know you can't put into the ground the poisons that they're putting into the ground. And not. a Mother Earth, for heaven's sakes, has a soul and a spirit of her own. And, I mean, I'm not pagan, but I am uh, an environmentalist, and I know that what we're doing to our planet, Mother Earth is extremely upset, okay? I, I, any Aboriginal culture you go to, it doesn't matter where, whether it's Australian or Hungary or wherever, okay, the, the Yugoslav or the Native Indian, the Mexicans, all the old Aboriginal groups will tell you, you have to respect Mother Earth. And when scientists think that they can overstep that, they are really in trouble. And it's not just that. I will even go to say that our space brothers and sisters that created us in their likeness, they look just like us. They don't have six toes or six fingers. They are like us, five toes, five fingers. In fact, we could meet them on the street and we would have no idea that they were outer space. Hmm. They look just like us. Maybe a little prettier because they haven't got as many defects on us. (laughs) The pollution we're dealing with. I don't think they got asthma. Okay, we'll put it like that. Right, right. They're, they're beautiful specimens, right? They don't have buck teeth, and they don't wear glasses, and they're not bald. You know. Well, they, I, in <laughs> terms of it. our creator, I mean, we, you and I would would have to respect, respectively part company there, in, in the sense that I, I mean, I, I don't believe that's where we came from. However, that's neither here nor there oh, for the purpose. Do you think we came from monkeys? <laughs> No, I do not. I do not. No, no. But I, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't believe in the alien seed concept. However, that that, that that's, that's okay. Yes, absolutely, it's okay. Now, um, I I, I want to talk about your uh, your clairvoyance and psychic ability because you 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 alluded to that earlier, and this is um, this is generational, isn't it? I mean, it, it is. How does that work exactly? Well, on my father's side, my the surname was Fraser, and my grandmother, uh, my great-great-grandfather came from Scotland, and he was the benefactor at the Hudson's Bay Post. And he, he came from a family of psychics back there. It was part of the royalty. It was not spurned or uh, discredited if you had that gift. You were honored. It was something to be proud of. You could water witch for wells. You, you just knew what to do uh, to help your world, right? And to help people around you. Anyway, right. he came with his psychic gifts, Fraser, Alexander Fraser, to the Hudson's Bay. And he married a native Iroquois princess named Angel of the Meadows. And he immediately called her Angelique Meadows because he didn't want his family back in Scotland to know that he'd married a native wife. I know a country wife, which was native, right? right? But she had the gift, too. Now, on my mother's side... We have the house, and they were gifted in that, well, the one uh, uncle invented the bicycle and had the Howe Bicycle Factory in Ireland, and my other great uncle invented the sewing machine. 
I come from a long line of creative people, and when you have creativity, you think outside the box, and more than likely you're going to be psychic or intuitive. So both sides of the family tree, I got a good mother load of disability. Uh, so you come by it honestly, as they say. Oh, yeah. And I have no patience with charlatans. <laughs> and there are a lot of them. They are legion. Oh, and how, and they, they despise me because I will not play games with people. I will not ever read on a psychic line because they read off a script. And I would never charge people two ninety nine or three ninety nine for a me- reading. Whenever I do get readings at $60 an hour, if I know they're a pensioner or a student, it's 40 I I totally believe that my needs will be met by the creator, the divine universe, whatever you want to call it. God, whatever. Uh, It's all the same thing, folks, whatever label you put on it. I know my needs will be met, so I don't have to steal, I don't have to cheat, and I don't have to play games with people. And um, what about dowsing? Is that a a part of your arsenal as well? Oh, you better believe it. My family on both sides of the family tree, which for wells, both sides of my family tree go back five generations in Canada. And how does, you know, I, I, I can't believe after all this time on the air, I have never really done a program on dowsing. How, how does, give me a crash course in dowsing. We're coming up on a break. We'll start the conversation mm. now and continue after. But how does, what's, how does it work? Well, that is a very good question. There are lots, of, well, pardon me, there's dowsing associations on every university across Canada. I don't know how many in the States, like university people, have their associations right in the university. It's science. You can be hired as a dowser and go over a map and see where the gold, the silver, the different metals are in that map. There are people that douse for lost pets, for seniors with dementia or Alzheimer's. They are contacted the university for the dowsers. So it's not just water. We don't just douse for water. We can douse for minerals. Uh, and, uh, and and lost pets. And in, in, do, do you have to use a dowsing rod, for example? No. Um, in our family, going back generations, we just used a needle and a thread. And what I'm doing anyway, when I do it, I contact somebody in the spirit world that love and trust and showed me respect when I was a child and love and respect me. And so I talked directly to my grandma, who at 99 still had her brain. <laughs> and, I mean, she was one of the first, well, I believe she was the first mayor, woman mayor in Canada during the Dirty 30s. Now, I think I can respect and trust that woman. She knew how to pay the electric bill. She knew how to put food <laughs> on her table. All right. Listen, Georgia, we're heading into a break. That yep. is quite a family tree you have. Yes, I do. We will come back and uh, continue our delightful conversation with Georgia Love right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Georgia Love is with us. Escape from Manhattan is uh, her book, and um, we're talking about harp, among other things. Now, this is interesting because you you say that uh, harp, this high-frequency active auroral research program, uh, the energy uh, affects not only our uh, material uh, world and our mental world, uh, but it also can affect the spiritual world. How is harp uh, affecting, or harp-like devices, we should say, how is it affecting the spiritual world? Okay, I'm not so sure about the spiritual world, how it's affecting the spiritual world. I do know that Nick Begish has spent a lot of time doing research on how HARP is able to control thought. 
in a live human being. Now, maybe there is a way they have engineered some way to affect the spiritual world, but I'll tell you one thing, <laughs> amazing grace. When you, Every military funeral, RCMP funeral, uh, in the States to the military and the police in the States, and in my family, with the bagpipes especially, amazing grace it is played. And whenever you play that, you pull together a spiritual army that you cannot believe. And if they want to really, really tangle, okay, harp and one percenters, the, the cabal, I'm praying that they hear me in spirit, that they know we need to be done with this whole evil system that's going on right now, because I believe those spirits in the spirit world that are that mighty spiritual army can deal with harp and totally negate it. And you're saying that the uh, the song, uh, what is it about that song? Is it the lyrics or is it the, to- the musical tones? Amazing Grace. Uh, well, because it's played at every funeral of anybody that has any faith in God at all. It's right. played. And especially if it's played with the bagpipes, I'll tell you how neat this is. I was doing a craft fair, and I, I'm very connected to my community, and I work very hard to help as many as I can. And I'm there, and in comes this bagpiper, because it was raising funds for our youth center, right? And that's where the young men and young women go for cadets. And I thought, oh, thank you, thank you, Spirit, for allowing this to happen. And this wonderful man comes in with his bagpipes, and he's playing Amazing Grace. Immediately after he left, this little, this older lady, okay, I'm going to call her that, the older woman, comes to my table, and within minutes, she tells me that she knew my mother, um, and that they were friends, and I thought, thank you, Mom, what a wonderful way to let me know that you're around, and that you're protecting me, and that you care. Now, when you see synchronicity like that, you know spirit world is really alive. And in spirit world, they don't understand. See, in the old days, the people believed in spirit world, and they would pray, and the locusts would go. There would be a, a, a group of birds would come in and eat all the locusts. They knew how to connect with spirit world to make their world work. And we just got to believe again in this kind of spiritual army, because it's even stronger now because whenever you turn on your cell phone, you can search and get Amazing Grace going right now. And with what they're trying to do on the West Coast, with causing serious, serious earthquakes here in the next few weeks, to deflect this RV of the money for all the world going on, they want to create chaos, they want to distract the attention of the the money change, and they'll do anything. They don't care how many people they kill, what destruction they will do. The cabal really don't want to let go of their power. And if you're in a dangerous position, you start singing or get the tune Amazing Grace, and you will have a spiritual army protecting you. And 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 the the spiritual I totally believe this. The, the spiritual army is comprised of whom? The, uh, All the, of our lost military men from the Second World War, the First World War, Vietnam, the Middle East. I mean, can you imagine those men? Because once you go into spirit world, there is no questioning anymore that it exists. You're there. And at their funeral, they see all their friends, and they see the respect, and they hear those bagpipes. And it's a calling. It's like playing the trumpets. 
when they say King David will play the trumpets and all the heavens will know if you read the Bible. Well, this is another version of that, because it calls together all the fallen RCMP, all of the people that really believe in God and the creation of this universe by a divine, loving creator, not a madman. Because right now, if you look at what's happening in our world, even the strongest believers are having a hard time hanging on. It's true. It's true. And I've seen some some pretty rock-solid believers uh, abandon their faith, which, you know, comes quite a shock. Uh, but there's a lot of that going on right now, to be sure. These are tough times. What do you, uh, I mean, do you, uh, do you involve remote viewing at all in your, in your work? I have seen, I have seen things. Um, just give me a second. I saw Katrina happening. I was reading for the Bay in Edmonton because they have their, their Christmas and their spring shows and they bring in psychics like myself. And I had 20 women, 30, I don't know how many, a lot of women lined up to read for, right? Now, abundance is everywhere. People are buying Christmas presents. There's wonderful music playing. We even have little East Indian men in dancing costumes, <laughs> You'd think you were an Egyptian. You know what I mean? It was just fantastic. Everybody was laughing. They were enjoying the wine and the food. And I'm doing these uh, mini tarot readings, right? And this very pretty girl sits down in front of me. She's 18 years old, red hair. It was like flashing back into the past and looking at myself. And she said, oh, I don't believe in all this crap. And I, I chuckled, right? And I said, well, I understand. There's so many flakes out there. I totally get it. But I, and I said, where are you going for Christmas? And all of a sudden, she told me Thailand. Well, this was in November of 2005, I believe. Yes, 2005. And all of a sudden, with all this beauty around me and all this joy and fun, I see the tsunami that hit Thailand. And I'm just devastated. I don't know where it's come from, but I'm, I'm getting uh, people drowning this, this horrible, horrible scene. And I just, I didn't believe what I was seeing myself, and I could not tell her. I was representing the bay. I couldn't offend the bay. And at 18, I thought, oh, she'll think I'm nuts. I can't tell her what I'm seeing. And so I dismissed it. I just said, well, I've okay. just got to let it go. So the, so, now you're talking about the tsunami uh, in 2004, or but you mentioned Katrina. Which oh, I'm sorry. In 2000, was it 2004 or 2005? The, I believe the tsunami that hit the Indian that was in the Indian Ocean was 2004. But then there was Katrina, which was no. This was 2000. Okay, well, this was Thailand. Okay, and I thought it was 2005, but I can be wrong. What the heck? I could easily be wrong on that. Well, it's not important. I I I was trying to understand which one you were talking about. I'm sorry. I didn't see Katrina at all, but I did see that. And as I was packing up to leave, I thought, I wonder if somebody in here knows what's going to happen. Is there somebody here that is working with something that would give me this image? Like, what's going on here? And I was so shocked when New Year's Day, I mean, I was kind of prepared because of what the vision I had. And I said, oh, my God, I wish I had tried harder to tell this girl what was coming so she had, wouldn't go to Thailand or she would at least be somewhere safe in Thailand. But, you know, she never would have believed me. Did, but and it, do we know what happened to her? Did she? I have no idea. Well, let's hope that she's safe. And uh, I, I just, you know, I'm hoping that soul to soul I connected with her and maybe she would change her, her mind. Uh, I know that we soul travel at night. 
We astral travel. travel and I'd, I love, yeah, I'd love to talk well. to you about astral travel when we come back, actually. Yeah. Georgia Love is my guest. We are hitting uh, on a lot of topics right now, and we'll continue to do so after this timeout. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. A few moments remain with our guest, Georgia Love, uh, the author of Escape from Manhattan, uh, in which the uh, the subject of harp uh, looms rather large, and that, of course, is the uh, high-frequency active rural research uh, project, and uh, we have been talking about harp, uh, but we're also talking about, um, uh, well, psychic abilities, clairvoyance, remote viewing, and, and uh, you mentioned uh, astral travel. Now, the only, and I've talked about this on the air a number of times, the only... Uh, paranormal or supernatural uh, event that I have uh, witnessed firsthand uh, is seeing my own doppelganger floating above my body, and which I now assume was perhaps my astral body or my soul body, um, hovering above me uh, one very late night, early morning, about 30 years ago. Um, didn't didn't you know try to make that happen? It just happened, and. Um, I'm wondering, uh, I mean, how difficult I, – I see, th- I see, you know, how-to books on how to astral travel, 10 steps for astral projection. I mean, how, is, how difficult is it? Okay. <clears throat> I've not taken any courses on astral projection. I know that at times an extreme need that I have been able to do it and go and spiritually go and uh, confront somebody about something they needed to know about, and it's like a dream for me. It's a colored dream. Everything is, is, you know, just like a movie. Everything is just, it's, it's amazing. I don't know how to express it. It's in Technicolor. It's like roll the cameras and we do the movie. And I, I'm laying back and I'm watching myself do this. And I feel strongly that if a parent is separated from a child, say a child goes missing, I believe that they're able to do that with their child when the child is in the dream state and they're in the dream state. I believe if you're in shock, like I don't know if you were in shock when your body uh, did this event for you. It was the evening of my father's funeral. Well, that would do it. <laughs> that would certainly do it uh, because you're you're looking for answers, and your, your higher self is is just able to go that extra sense. Uh, it's like the sixth or the seventh sense, and we're able to do it. See, we're only operating on maybe 16 to 26% of our brain power at this time in history. And there are people that are saying that uh, we will be changing very shortly, and we're going to have more ability to use more of our mental abilities, that we've been dumbed down. And That's so for, for sure. That is for sure. You know, I'm on a wonderful product called... Selgevity with Max International. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company, but my brain ability to focus, to be clear, to remember, my memory is so much better since I've been on it now eight months, and it's reversed the mental process for me. I can now remember 20, 30 uh, telephone numbers in my head at any time, so I don't have to go and look them up in the phone book. And that is a wonderful gift to be able to have. Send me some quick by the truckload. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's Selgevity, phone me, 250-962-9618. This stuff works. All right, so back to the astral and projection. I just love it, right? And it's helped me uh, be able to focus and be cl- more clear with my thoughts and thinking and all of that. And I, I just can't tell you enough. If you go Max International, okay. you'll see it there, and then you phone me. 
All right. I, yeah, I don't want to do a commercial for that, but I, I do want to get back to the astral projection. Uh, uh, now, for you, this happens in a dream state. Is that how it happens? Or do you most actually... Most of the time. Most okay. of the time. Although I believe at certain points in my life, I can't remember them all right now, but I am able to... Uh, well, yes, the one time I really did it, and I'll remember it, uh, I gave birth to my son, and I was in shock, like you were at your father's funeral, and I saw my body leave, and I was looking at the whole scene. And I, I was very lucent. I wasn't on any drugs. I was just doing it naturally. And I looked at the whole scene, took it in, and it helped me deal with it, actually, the whole situation better. That when I went back into my body, I was able to say, okay, fine, this is what I've got to cope with. Now, we hear so much about when, when people um, astral project, and um, they talk about this silver cord that joins their physical body with their astral body. I never saw a silver cord. It may have been there, and maybe I missed it. Uh, I mean, it, or is that just a, um, um, a, a myth? Is there a silver cord connecting the astral body with the physical body? We're so busy, I don't know of anybody that's ever astral traveled that actually ever saw that, to be honest. Anybody I've talked to, including myself, we've never seen it. You're so busy taking in more important information that you're not even thinking about that. That's true. I wasn't looking for it. Doesn't mean it, uh, yes, that's <laughs> no right. Way. Absence of proof isn't proof of absence, as they say. But uh, Yeah. I mean, it's not something I do know that when you make love to somebody and it, there is a real personal connection, not just a... I don't know what you'd call it, but it was genuine feelings and, and the silver cord does build between you and your mate. And that is what has happened so sadly to speak that when someone cheats on you or you cheat on somebody, that cord is broken right there, right then. And it's so hard to build it back. And I don't even know if it's possible. Interesting. I didn't know but that. We're so much more than flesh and blood. That's true. We are not, as you say, um, what did you call us, meat robots? Yes, we're not a meat robot. We're divine computers. <laughs> and we are linked to the divinity of the whole universe. Like, I have researched astrology for years to give an explanation, because I was raised Pentecostal and told being psychic, I was Satan's daughter and all this garbage that I got loaded on me when I was seven years old, because I was seeing things that were 300 miles away. And I, I like I saw my uncle who was when I was three years old dead in a snowbank, and I told my mom, "Look, Uncle Fred is dead," and he was in Thomasburg. You'd know where Thomasburg is, and we lived in Sturgeon Falls. Right, I know Sturgeon we had Falls. No yes. telephone, no radio. Oh boy, we had a radio, but no newspaper, no magazines. The only way I knew my uncle was dead in the snowbank is I'd seen a dead dog or a dead cat. I was three, you know, and she got the telegram telling her that this had happened. It was a diabetic coma. I did the same thing when I was seven, and I saw my Uncle Clark. Now, it was remote viewing. It naturally came to me because of my heritage. It was not anything that I'd done that was wrong. I, I was being gifted. It was, it was a blessing, but the way I was treated, I shut down at seven because I had all these elders of the church trying to cast the demons out of me. And believe you me, I, I didn't see any psychic stuff until I was 30. Oh, you... you I shut you, down totally. So you forgot? Did you forget that you had the ability? I wouldn't go near it. I thought I was evil. What happened at 33? 23 years to get over realizing that I wasn't evil. <laughs> what happened at 33? At 30, I... 
Oh, God, at 30, I dreamt that my daughter was going to be born without any arm muscles. I already had a son with no stomach muscles or bladder muscles, and I woke up screaming. Like, I thought, oh, my God, I'm not even going to be able to teach this kid to hold a crayon or her bottle. What am I going to do with this child? And I was just, oh, my God. I went to the, I was a nurse, and I went to, um, knew a lot about the body, the physiology and everything, and I went to the health food store, and I studied every book I could get my hands on because I wasn't a nutritionist, and I wanted to make sure this child was okay. I even went back to church, <laughs> and I, what, this is me, I ended up, this baby, um, she was 8 pounds, 14 ounces, beautiful, big, healthy baby, but we were rushed to a Vancouver General Children's Hospital section there uh, a month after she was born. She had a hole in her heart. I was on the same floor where I was struggling 10 years previous to pull my son through major surgeries. And uh, next day, in come this beautiful woman, a model. She had had twins. One was in Burnaby General doing fine. The other one was straight across from me, and it had no arm muscles. It weighed two pounds and it, it had a hole in the heart, too. Oh, dear. And it was so sad, and I thought, was I warned by spirit to get my life together, to eat properly, or did I flash into the future, do remote future viewing, and saw this and automatically figured it was mine? Right, right. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I really have no idea. Probably when I pass over, I'll get some answers. That's a pretty rare condition, I'm guessing. Born with no muscles in your arms? Oh, that's what rare. That is really rare. My son... Uh, it's called Eagle Barrett Syndrome, and he is one in 200,000 boys at that time. We're going back 46 years ago, well, 48 years ago, pardon me. And today it's one in 40,000, and it's called Eagle Barrett Syndrome. Right. And so my heart just goes out to the parents that have this, these kind of children. Today my son is 48 years old, healthy. Um, and, of course, they've got today the laser surgeries. They've got medical, you know, it's so much more advanced than when he was a baby. Right, the right. children aren't going through what he went through. Does, does that how, is that how most of your visions come to you in, in, in a dream, or do they just flash in your mind, or is it auditory, uh, visual? How, how does it it's happen? It's all of it. It's all of it. And it's taken years to accept it and, and know that I'm not a, an evil person to have this, that I'm not causing this. It's just spirit world connecting with me. I always ask psychics uh, or people who have psychic ability uh, this, uh, or clairvoyance, uh, do you consider it a gift or a curse? Well, right, well, from the time I was seven till I was 30, I thought it was a curse. After that, I've delighted in it. But it, it's, it can't be easy at times. It can't be. I mean, do you get, if, for example, you see something in someone's future that is not good, um, how do you approach that? Let's say you see someone and you know that they are going to die. How do you approach well, that? I don't very often get that, to be honest with you, because I'm not looking for that. It's where your mind is at. I'm an extremely healthy, happy person. So I usually draw to myself people that mirror me. I don't draw to myself sickly people. Interesting. So I okay. usually draw someone that maybe have some financial problems, or uh, but mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm, I'm extremely healthy. So that is what I usually draw to me. It's not often I get somebody that uh, would ever come to me that is like that, because we do. Like attracts like. Interesting, interesting. I, right. I just don't get those. And I'm not in the nursing field anymore. 
Um, probably if I was in the nursing field, maybe I would get that. But even selling my Max International products that I sell and nutritionals that I sell uh, or share with people, maybe that's a better way to, to say it, um, I only draw to me people who really want to be healthy. The rest just poof, poof me away. They're not interested. So they, they would not want to know anything about their psychic ability. So they never come to me. Prince George to me is a very dead town. Is that right? <laughs> How so? <laughs> very dead. Why do you say that? Well, in Prince George, oh, okay, a lot of the people in Prince George are reincarnated from either the Jewish Holocaust, okay, and of knowing the concentration ovens and the concentration camps and all of that, or they're straight from uh, the Confederate Army, the the the, um, the freeing of the slaves and the whole Confederate, you know what I mean, from the states. There's the two types that are here. And uh, because at one point, Prince George was extremely wealthy. There were more millionaires here than anywhere in Canada. But between the pine beetle destroying our forests, um, lumber prices, uh, sawmills and pulp mills burning down, and just all the chaos that's happened here, it's probably one of the poorest towns across Canada. Oh, interesting. Well, it sounds so like a... have got a lot of wealthy people that moved here, were born here for wealth, very disillusioned. All right, listen, um, on that uh, rather odd note, I guess, on Prince George, and it's yeah, an interesting it's lesson. A we've got a place right now, and it doesn't have to be if they'd wake up and, you know, claim, claim uh, a different thought. Okay, we, all right. Uh, it doesn't have to be like this. They just have to, they, one word, they wake up and say, I claim my prosperity, I will find ways to be prosperous, and it would change. All right, I'll take you uh, on your word on that, and I'll... Uh, try to put that to work for myself well yeah it's what we allow ourselves to dwell on thoughts are things that we uh, claim prosperity in our lives we claim good health we claim that the right things will come into our life to give us an abundant life it happens we're very powerful beings all right i believe that georgia we are out of time but uh, the book escape from manhattan at the website escape from manhattan.com appreciate your time tonight georgia thank you to uh, tim spreen albert the intern back next week with a brand new show hope you'll be along for that in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed nothing hidden that won't be made known what you hear in the dark dark speak in the light what i say in a whisper proclaim from the housetops move over aphrodite i'm coming home good night You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.